To close up our sermon series on the book of Revelation, I would like for you to open your Bibles to, or rather, the book of Ephesians. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. I don't miss being single in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not sure if there are husbands in the room who would agree or come alongside of me when I... I had no idea what type of fog I was in as I played more hours of video games than a grown man ever should. I, I don't really, you don't realize that a futon is not really both a bed and a couch. Like, that's not true. It's a lie that they tell you at Walmart when you pick it up for $27.99. You miss these things. I don't miss trying to date. That was a really difficult process, especially for me. I wasn't good at it. I remember being in seminary. And, and while in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, there was a young lady. Uh, and I thought, man, we should go on a date with one another. That would be fun. Fun for her. Fun for me. Why not? So I asked her if she wanted to go to the Cheesecake Factory because I like to go to restaurants with overwhelming menus. And the two of us make our way to the Cheesecake Factory and we begin to have a conversation o- over uh, pasta and she asked for a to-go box, and I did not need a to-go box. We then ordered cheesecake because it's not called the pasta factory. And she got a piece of cheesecake, and I got a piece of cheesecake because I'm not going to share cheesecake. When the date came to its conclusion, we head back to our uh, where me and my roommate lived, and there's a group of guys there watching a movie. She puts her leftover cheesecake in my refrigerator. Everything seems to be going well. We're just kind of hanging out, all six, seven of us, and it's time for her to go home. And as we're on our way back to her house for me to drop her off, I said, do you think this is going anywhere? To which she replied, maybe. I said, really? And by maybe for her, it meant we would be friends. And I said, so do you think we're going to date? And she said, "Oh, oh, no. As if I were Quasimodo hopping out of the bell tower. Unappreciated. And I told her, I've got enough friends. I don't need any more friends. I'm stocked up on friends. Such a difficult process, dating. I I, I can remember when I was in high school, I went on a date with a a girl. We had been talking on the phone. Kids in the room, hear me say this. Years ago, you talked on the phone. You, You said words out loud to one another. It was the neatest thing. You were locked in as far... You could not go very far with the phone. It was plugged into a wall. She and I decided over the course of maybe a month or so that we were going to go together. We had no idea where our destination was. We're just going to go together. Giddy up and go. Let's go. Finally, I decided that I would offer the, to take her to a movie so that we could have a destination. She said, my dad has seen you leave the church parking lot. I can't ride anywhere with you. <laughs> he dropped her off. When he dropped her off at the movie theater that night, I was in my white Buick Regal. It had a vinyl top. Very smooth ride. And I bought her a Coke, and I bought myself a Coke. Do you want some candy? I bought her candy, she, and I got myself some candy. I said, I'm going to get some popcorn. Would you like some popcorn? She said, I'll just share yours. That's when I knew this was not going the right direction. 
<laughs> what? She started trying to thumb wrestle with me and the popcorn. I thought everything was going okay. We get back. I get back to my house. I call her best friend, and I'm beginning to have a conversation with her about this relationship. And I said, I think everything went really well tonight. She said, oh, really? She then gets a click because that's how it worked in the day. You would get a click. She clicked over, talked to the friend. She said, Chad, it did not go well. Why didn't it go well? I bought her a Coke. I bought her a ticket. I bought her candy. I even shared popcorn, much to my dismay. Chad, you did not tell her. You did not say it. Say what? There was nothing for me to say. She should say thank you. She did not tell her, you did not tell her that you loved her. Because I didn't. <laughs> Weighted words. And love is one of those. We use the word love to describe everything. It's a word that no longer has meaning because we want to use it and apply it to everything in our lives. We love our church. We love Thanksgiving. We love Christmas. We love our dogs. We love guacamole. This word that is just spread out everywhere to the point that it's lost its meaning. When we're in the book of Revelation chapter 2, we're bringing to conclusion our series on the book of Ephesians. And as we bring this series to its conclusion, I just want you to realize that love is central to the whole thing. It's central to the unity of the church. It's central to our interactions with other believers. Love matters. And for those of us who are going to follow after Jesus, we have to see that love matters. And returning to your first love is central to being new in Jesus. The theme for the last three months has been the notion that in Jesus we've been made new. And for those of us who are going to follow after Jesus, we must continually return to that truth. Returning to Him as our first love and the things that He has called us to love. We are people who need to see that. So if you've got your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Your labor and your endurance. And that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered. I know that you've endured hardships for the sake of my name, and I know that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, then, how far you have fallen. Repent and do the work you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Returning to your first love is central to being new in Jesus. And this passage sets in motion for us the, the way by which we do that. And it's pretty simple, and it's right there embedded in the middle of this text piece. It's remember, repent, and re- repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. This is called the book of Revelation. We are uh, people who love the Bible here at Grace Bible. Uh, And when we begin to talk about the book of Revelation, sometimes it can be scary. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. Sometimes it can cause you to fill a room. Sometimes it can cause you to say really weird stuff. You can talk about dragons. It is a very unique book. But when we look at the word itself and why it will be called Revelation, not Revelations, they're just one, For the ancient Jewish people, there's this belief that where God is and where we are, those are two places that can meet. And this belief was believed to be the temple. That the place where God and and earth meet is ultimately the temple. There was a transition, there was a shift from a place to a person with New Testament Christians. Because we are no longer people who meet God in a place, we are people who meet God in a person. They saw the shift take place, and heaven and earth, they meet in the person of Jesus. Heaven and earth for us, for us to grasp what it means to be heaven people, we need to meet with Jesus. We meet God there. He is the one whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, so that we could be right before God. He is the one who has invited us to right relationship with God by His sacrificial death and His resurrection. Heaven and earth for us meet in Jesus. Now, since they believed this, though, these early Christians, they were persecuted. And they're dealing with the idea of persecution. They were not simply standing up for their rights. As a matter of fact, they did not really have any rights. They were working through what it meant to live in a difficult world where there was a king who hated them, whom everyone believed to be God. And in the midst of this tyranny, they are wrestling with what it meant to really live in a way that said that God mattered. The word revelation literally translates the unveiling. This is the revelation of what God has for his people. And these poor early Christians were meeting in one another's really small houses. While the fastest growing religion in the world, it's a very popular conversation piece on all social media platforms, the fastest growing religion in the world was the worship of Caesar. It's that world that John writes this letter to. Now again, we started in the book of Acts in our study of the book of Ephesians, and the the writing was from, from Luke about Paul. We end in John... But we have to, with the book of Revelation, however, with those two things in mind, we have to consider all that's being said here. God is saying to us in verses 1 and 2, Write to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is intentional language by John. Because this world was so wrapped up in its wealth. As a matter of fact, Ephesus was a central place for wealth. It was a demonstration. It was a visual for the Roman Empire. And in this picture of what imperial wealth looked like, which was Ephesus, 
The writer of the book is saying that Jesus is the true sovereign who holds the stars in his right hand. Though everything looks as if God has been undone, Jesus reigns, Jesus rules. I see what you're doing is the next phrase from Jesus. Because this is Jesus speaking to John in this passage. And he says to him, I to tell the church at Ephesus this. I know what you're doing. If we were to just stop right there. If Jesus were to say about us, I know what you're doing. Is there a more overwhelming or mortifying phrase than that? Corporately and individually. It's the, it's the ring that we use as to guard our homes when we remember to charge the batteries. You left your kids and you're going to watch them just by a camera that's there while you're working on the back porch. You say out loud, I know what you're doing. Well, they don't want you to know what they're doing. If these words are said out loud to us, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing corporately. I know what you're doing individually. And God begins to come at us from that angle. I know your works. I know your works. That's scary. All the while, throwing us back to the starting point for what it means for us to be people who are in right relationship with Yahweh through Jesus. Ephesians 3, 17-19, He lets us know what we should do. And what we should do is this, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what you should do. Be rooted, be grounded. We shared a few weeks ago, rooted is agricultural. You receive your life from this love that is, has been expressed to you in Jesus. Grounded is foundational. You receive your structure and definition by this love that has been given to you in Jesus. I know what you're doing is what he says here. And then he lets them know the things that they're doing well. It's almost a compliment sandwich here. F Ephesians is, they're pretty well liked though. I know your work. I know your labor and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. I know that you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you've persevered and you've endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary. They're doing good things. They don't deal with evil. The idea of, of right doctrine was, 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 a, was a big deal. It's still a big deal. You don't put up with liars. You seem to be doing things well. But I've got this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. They were told to be rooted and grounded in love. 
on the front side from Paul. This is what you should be working toward. And on the back side, John says, through Jesus says through John, you didn't do it. When we come to know Jesus and place our trust in Jesus, there is usually an excitement. Maybe you were moved to consider that this God would love you in spite of your sin and the struggles that you had with it. But if we're not intentionally working towards rooted and grounded love, then we will almost become numb. We will become cold to the, to the love that God has for us. There's this question in this passage, and people like to argue about the Bible because why not? And one of the discussions that's had about this text is, is this talking about a love for Jesus, or is this talking about a love for other people? What love have these people abandoned? Well, the answer to that is yes. The love for Jesus that you have in this text, it's Ephesians 6, 24, tells us the importance of a love for Jesus. The love for one another is very present in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It's, it's right there in our central text we spent time in. Or we could even just go to the words of Jesus when he talks about the love of God and the love for one another. When he says, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second commandment is just like it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. We can't divide what God puts together. Those things are united with one another. And our vertical love for God does not make God a better God. But our horizontal love for one another makes us look more like Jesus. Are we loving people for the sake of Jesus? Two and three are in a... So when you look at two and three, the works of this church, the labor of this church, the endurance of this church, that they wouldn't tolerate evil, that they would be aware as to who was an apostate or a false teacher, that they would rabbit trail down to, to have right information. But if, if they don't have love, then all of the stuff they're doing in two and three, it has rendered itself ultimately ineffective. Because a loveless Christianity ceases to be Christianity. A loveless Christianity is unlike Jesus. A world in which we overlook the needs that are there, the present realities that are there, where we don't reach for the sake of Jesus. That is a loveless world. And it is unlike this Jesus who you tell me loves me so much. It is unlike a God who says that He loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. All of these right things are wrong if love is not present. So what am I supposed to do with this? Well, one, we have to figure out if we are in a real relationship with Christ or if we are just experiencing the end of a fad for us. Because that happens. There are some of us who are believers in Jesus, and we've been believers in Jesus for years, and maybe there has been a coldness that has risen inside of us. 
But there are some of us who, for whatever reason, maybe we were at vacation Bible school on Thursday night and they broke out the popsicle stick cross and the cookies and the watered-down Kool-Aid and we thought to ourselves, man, I want to be part of that thing because that happens too. And Jesus, for us, was just an emotional experience. He has to be more than that. I was a child of the late 80s, early 90s. I graduated high school in in 1995. And there have been numerous well-known musical artists who have impacted and affected the world that have come along before me, during my my prime, really. Though I think I have a, a... a lengthy prime like LeBron James and then afterwards so some of those one for instance is a a young man named Elvis from the 1950s I think that some of you guys I have a picture of Elvis for us to see anybody remember Elvis he was one of the ultimate primary heartthrobs and I'll be transparent with you some of the most uncomfortable conversations that I ever had with my grandmother were about Elvis Presley it was I just left the room she went to an Elvis concert. That's a weird thing. This lady wore moo-moos 98% of the time. It was hard to visualize her at an Elvis concert. For me in high school, the, the people who, or rather after me, were some other guys. There, there were the Backstreet Boys. Any Backstreet people, that was your era in the room. Let me have a picture of them. I think so. They look like the word new. Uh, <laughs> there we go. No, that's sync. You guys, we have to work this out. We, we'll meet together later. Backstreet Boys, you have sync. The popular one right now is a band called BTS. Maybe you've heard of them. But for me, in the eighth grade, there was an English class, and my teacher was teaching, and a, a girl walks in in an oversized neon green T-shirt with a band on it. They were called the New Kids on the Block. Now they are old men on a treadmill. But at this point, they were the new kids, and they were well-loved. And Regina, this girl in my class, thought they were the best thing that had ever happened to ever. And I would imagine very much like most girls at that point in history, she had a a magazine centerfold of them on her wall. Because this was the days of Tiger Beat before we had TikTok. And she was probably googly-eyeing on it. But eventually that magazine poster that's on the wall, she, she grows numb to it. She walks by it. She doesn't even pay attention. It's still there. But it has nothing, no type of connection with her everyday reality. For those of us who Jesus was nothing but an emotional experience, that's what happened. There was a moment where something took place. But now we just walk by him every day. And if you're in this space on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, maybe that's where you are. You you never really had a, a deep, growing relationship with this Jesus. Or maybe you're a believer. But you look at your life with Jesus and you see that you have lost your first love, an actual love for Him. 
You do the right things. You're at your Wednesday Bible study. You show up for a discipleship group. If Jared calls you to put something together because he knows that I can't help with that stuff, you show up. But there's nothing that says that you walk with Jesus. How do we get back if that's our state? If you are a believer who is far from Jesus, how do you get back? Well, remember, I'm going to ask everyone in the room to do this. Can you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? When you remember that point, raise your hand. Take yourself back to what was taking place around you there. The people that God happened to be using. The places that God was using. The depth of the love that God, has sh- God showed you in that moment. Do you remember that? Value that. But realize that God hasn't changed. We've allowed busy to be busy and difficult to be difficult and hard to be hard. Those are synonyms. And if you're not in a place where you see the value for Jesus and not the value for that moment, do what this text invites us to do. It's a really big, heavy word. It's the word repent. But there's not a better word if we are followers of Jesus who don't sense the value of Jesus and we are numb to how rich His love is for us and we have overlooked the immensity of His care for us. We're just going through the motions of this thing. The only word that gives direction for what we should do is repent. Now, most of us are going to struggle with that because because honestly, we don't like to admit that we need to repent. We don't like to ask forgiveness when people have wrong when we've wronged others. We definitely don't like to acknowledge that we're not in the place that God would have us to be, but that's the word. There's a game on the iPhone, it just celebrated its 10-year anniversary. It's called Subway Surfers. And it is my plain game. Shepard downloaded it to my phone when he was four years old. I play it whenever I'm on a plane because I'm not going to pay $9 for the internet. I just won't. The weird thing about the game is it's a constant runner. There's no end to it. We just, you just go. If we're not at a place where we would acknowledge that we are far from the Lord because of decisions that we've made, that's what we're doing. We're running toward an endless nothing. We're not going to find any satisfaction there. We just don't want to acknowledge why we're running. Repent. That word repent, it, it can do some damage. It doesn't simply mean that you turn fr- from something. That's what we like to, to make it. It means we turn to someone. 
So for those of us who are believers in Jesus, the goodness of the Scriptures and the goodness of the God who's given us the Scriptures and the goodness of the Spirit who would weigh heavy on us and say, you need to repent, gently nudging us to repent. Would we turn to someone... Because Jesus is not less valuable today than the day that you gave your life to Him. He's not. And He doesn't love you less. The, the, the dumbness and the numbness really comes because we think that if we acknowledge this, then God won't care for us as much. He did not stop caring for you because of the stupidity that you did. He loves you. He lo- you are defining yourself by those measurements and metrics. Jesus doesn't. His love for you is long-lasting. It is, it is incredible. And He's not waiting for you to fix yourself. He's waiting for you to turn to Him. Repent. And the other word would be repeat. This idea of believing people consistently and continually acknowledging what God has done for us in Jesus... Don't forget that. Come back to that. When you sense it, it's a sign of spiritual maturity for us to come back there. Because my heart, left to itself, will try to find satisfaction in everything and everyone besides Jesus. Remember, repent, and repeat. Otherwise, I will come to you And I will remove your lampstand from its place. This is to the church. There's also, there are also individual ramifications. If we are not willing to acknowledge that we are far from the Lord, how could we ever expect to be near to Him? So turn from yourself, yourself. You and I are terrible gods. Turn from and turn to. And consistently turn to because if you are not intentional and if I'm not intentional about this, then all that I'm ever doing is spinning and trying to find identity in places that it's not. The place, Ephesus, is weird. There's not much there anymore. This place that used to be a port city, like we are a port city, where there was commerce and trade coming and going. Not much. But what there's not at all is a church. When the passage says to us that we have forgotten our first love or abandoned it, it's calling us as the people of God to love the way that God does. To love Him and to love our neighbors for Him. To love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor for God's sake. So today when you walked in, you you were handed uh, a small piece of paper with a couple of uh, initials and words on there. A few weeks ago at Light the Night, that was our uh, Halloween 
Maybe I'll use the word festivity. It was festive. Weird things happened. We ran out of candy. We had 2,000 bars. We ran out of candy. Some of my sweet, sweet church members, that's y'all, were going to your pantries and pulling out anything that you could. At our house, we had these granola bars. Those fancy granola bars that nobody wants to eat. We're like, here, kid. They started egging our house later. I'm kidding. That's hyperbole. Some of you brought out the, your microwave popcorn from the pantry. I believe that was really popular at the king's house. Over, we're just going to our pantry, getting stuff out. Here we go. This is how we love our neighbors. I'm going down the street to, to neighbor's house. Do you have any candy? Well, I don't have big candy bars. Do you have breath mints? Now, in all of that, there's a scan code that's there, and, and it's really our follow-up, and we're taking, in, we're taking intentional initial steps to follow up. But the first step that we take, is this. We did not just ask for names or addresses or email addresses. We asked questions about, why don't you go to church? But the best one that Jared came up with, and because Jared comes up with the good stuff. How can we pray for you? So, in your hand, maybe you're there by yourself or you've got your family with you. You've got the initials of a person and they have invited us to pray for them. So, the first thing that I want you to do is to pray over your own walk with the Lord. If you're in a place where you're so, so far away from Him that you, you can't even Repent. And that's between you and the Lord, and you guys can work through that. You and Him can work through that, and you'll really realize that He's the one doing all the work. But after you have prayed for yourself and your walk with Jesus, I, I want you to pray for the person who's on that card. You don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. But the promise that we made to this community is that we would pray for them. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Because no, no follow-up that we do with them is going to matter if we are not going before God on their behalf. So let's just do this. Jared's going to get in place. The band's going to get in place. And they're going to pad for us. And I want you to pray about your walk with Jesus. And then pray for whoever is on your card. Pray that God would save them if they're lost. Pray that God would meet their needs if, if they need needs to be met. Pray what's there. Pray for their health, like this person that I have. Pray for their financial situation that I read on some of these. Let's pray. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner, my right-hand corner of the room. Jesus, we trust you and we believe you, Lord, I pray for these wonderful people you've given me an opportunity to pastor. Lord, I pray for the coldness and the numbness in our hearts at times. And I pray that we will see that you were calling to us in the midst of that. To turn back to you. Because we want to be a light in this community that says that Jesus is better. Better than the other things that we may find our value in. So, we're going to trust you with these next few moments.
as we pray for ourselves and pray for our neighbors. Thank <laughs> you.